Warning, the following episode contains spoilers for Avengers Infinity War. So, if you haven't seen that movie yet, you should flee, you should run away, because all will be revealed in this episode, as well as spoilers for the entire MCU. Hello, I'm Henry. And I'm Trey. And welcome to Marvelous, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Where we go through the entire MCU, movie by movie, show by show, but not today, because we have a special on Marvel's biggest, baddest movie to date, Avengers Infinity War. It's finally here, it's finally out! Everyone is in one movie and it's crazy. It is definitely insane. (laughs) So Henry, what did you think about this movie? I loved it. It was amazing how well they were able to bring all these different corners of the Marvel Cinematic Universe together with all these characters we haven't seen interact together. But it also felt so right when you saw different characters interacting like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange and Iron Man or Iron Man and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Just every single interaction they showed just felt right. And it was so cool. How about you, Trey? My feelings are a lot more complex. There was definitely a lot of good moments in this movie. It's very hard to explain how I feel about it because, to be honest, it's not at all the movie that I thought we were getting or that I was wanting. It's something completely different. The movie was a lot different than I was expecting. I did not think... Alright, final spoiler warning now. If you have not watched this movie and you want to go in unspoiled, leave now. Okay, you better be gone. This movie was a lot different than I was expecting, and I did not think it was going to end in the snap. I thought they were going to have this movie end with Thanos having four or five of the Infinity Stones, and Avengers 4 next year was going to be a race to defend the final Infinity Stone. Probably the Soul Stone, or maybe the Reality Stone. But they did it, and yeah, I was really surprised. Yeah, my expectations weren't really about the details to that extent. It was more about that I thought it was going to be like a journey through Thanos getting the Infinity Stones. And yes, that was part of it, but... So I've seen this movie twice now, and on the first viewing, I really just came out of it thinking that it was kind of a mess. (laughs) Um, And the reason that I thought that is that it doesn't really have any plot structure like a normal movie. There's no, like beginning, middle, rising action, climax. It's really the entire movie is one third act of the entire universe, which upon second viewing with that lens, it got a lot better, but it was definitely felt really off to me at first because you were just like thrown into the middle of this thing. And there are so many characters in it that I thought they spread themselves like way too thin, in my opinion, to be honest. And because of that, it felt like it had the least amount of character depth of any Marvel movie to date. Like, this is a chapter in every character's story, but we literally spend only minutes with each character, aside from, like, some extraneous examples, like Thor had a lot of the movie, and Iron Man and Doctor Strange had a lot. Gamora. I wouldn't say Gamora had a lot, but she had, like, moments, yeah. And just, like, the tiny pieces... The mere minutes with all the characters, it it left me wholly unsatisfied, and they didn't aim to establish any of the characters in this film. It relied entirely on previous movies, 
which in theory is fine, but it removed a lot of the emotional weight for me for, for the characters and for their deaths when they came. Like I wasn't with them. I wasn't really feeling them. And I, it wasn't sitting with me the way that I would have wanted the deaths to sit with me. That's kind of funny that you see it that way. Since for me, I was thinking, wow, I'm so happy we aren't being reintroduced to all of these characters again. Like, we know already. We've already seen all these movies. We already know all these characters. We already know how they act, what motivates them, and how they would handle these situations. And everyone, except for, in my opinion, Gamora, felt spot on in this movie. And it just felt like we rushed straight into the crazy adventure and story. And I'm glad that we didn't have to wait to reintroduce ourselves to everyone. And we did have, like, a little introduction to every character. Like, the Guardians, like, they had one minute of them all singing along to a song or sleeping in their ship. And that was, like, a very, very quick, like, introduction to the Guardians again. Like, I like how everyone was introduced into the movie. I don't mean introductions. I don't think introductions of everyone was necessary. I just think that they needed to show more of their character in order for me to identify with them like I normally am. Like, normally I I am in these movies with these characters that I care about and feeling everything that happens to them, and I wasn't with them this time. And, Hmm. I mean, a lot of that may have to do with the fact that my favorite character got very little screen time in this movie at all. (laughs) And a lot of why I don't care might be because my favorite character got pretty much the most screen time in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, Iron Man! Yeah. He's the best! Damn it, Captain America, why were you not in this movie more? Yeah, it is really weird that Captain America and pretty much any individuals on Earth didn't get all that much screen time. But I'm assuming that's just because they're building up to Avengers 4 really focusing on those who remain, with Captain America leading everyone on Earth since Tony isn't there. Yeah, and I'm sure he will get more screen time in Avengers 4. And honestly, it's really hard to judge this movie as a movie because it is part one. And we don't actually get to see the outcome of everything until a year from now. And by then it's like, too late. Like, now you have to go back and judge part one because now you know what happens. (laughs) Yeah, like, all we know is it's really obvious that they're going to undo the snap in Avengers 4. Like, they have to. Spider-Man's confirmed to be having a movie, Black Panther is confirmed to be having another movie, and it just wouldn't make sense to not undo it. And honestly, like, I get what they were doing with killing everyone at the end, but when you kill Spider-Man and Black Panther, like, you could not make it more obvious that this is not gonna stick, so I really just hated everything about this ending, because it's like, I don't care that they're dying, they're going to come back, none of this actually matters. I was a little thrown off, but I did like it. And I felt that although it was obvious they were coming back, it was still handled really well. Especially with Tony having Spider-Man die in his arms, essentially, since Tony views him like his son. And it's just painful. That one was sad. I guess I felt like we were being tricked, because I'm like, I know all these characters are not dead. Why is this happening? And then I thought there would be more, like, actual emotional stakes in the movie, like people who actually die. But in reality... The only ones who actually died are Heimdall, Loki, and Gamora. And I don't actually believe that Gamora is going to stay dead, or I'm not sure if I should believe that. So really, no one major died, unless you consider Loki major. (laughs) He's pretty major. But yeah, I do see what you mean about feeling like you're being tricked. But I didn't mind. I still thought it was handled pretty well. It's kind of funny that Spider-Man's death got more screen time than Bucky's, except Bucky's was the first to die. Yeah. I would have expected Bucky to have a similar scene to Spider-Man, but it would have been kind of awkward to do that twice. 
But I kind of like how everyone isn't really grieving at the end. They're just like, oh, my God, it happened. Like Captain America is just like, oh, God, no one can fathom the weight of how horrible this is. Yeah, and it is definitely horrible for them since they don't know they're going to undo it. (laughs) Yeah, though Doctor Strange might. Well, Doctor Strange is dead, so he no longer knows either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but so that's pretty much my main gripe with the movie is that it was spread so thin that a lot of the characters were barely there. Captain America and Black Panther literally barely did anything at all in this movie. Yeah. Aside from Wakanda existing as, like, the fighting place. I did like that, though, since although Black Panther himself didn't get much screen time, and we just kind of saw his purple energy bursts in the distance a lot, but we saw a lot of the other Wakandan warriors, which was cool. And Shuri was working on Vision, and I liked that they did get the setting. Yeah, the setting definitely brought something to the table. And I think it makes it more interesting Because Black Panther wasn't really about Black Panther. It was more about Wakanda. So now we have Wakanda here and like barely any of Black Panther. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. But something else just to like touch on the little screen time is that nothing character wise actually moved. Like the Avengers are still split up from Civil War. Tony and Steve never actually talked. None of them really did anything except fight Thanos. Like it was all just like, okay, everyone in their respective places fighting Thanos is people (laughs) it was definitely really interesting that we didn't see the avengers getting back together tony and steve rogers not meeting each other again was really surprising and i figured that that would have been covered in the first few minutes of the movie but i didn't mind and like you said earlier how this is like a third act to the entire mcu i didn't feel like the characters needed that much development over the course of this movie because this movie was the moments all of them have been building towards. We see post-Captain America trilogy cap. We see post-Iron Man trilogy and Age of Ultron and Avengers and Civil War Iron Man. We see post-Thor trilogy Thor. We see post-Thor Ragnarok Hulk. Like, they already are in their final forms. And I like seeing what they're like all together again. I agree with that. And let me just say... On my second viewing of this movie, watching it all just as a third act, most of this movie was pretty great, even, like, despite, like, the very small character moments for a lot of people. Like, it was definitely a climax. It brought a lot to the MCU, and it moved the story forward, even though I still hate the ending. (laughs) (laughs) Though, this does make me terrified about Captain America now, because if he does die in Avengers 4, I really thought this movie was going to, like, give me a significant amount of him to, like, be okay with him sacrificing himself. And instead, (laughs) instead, now that, like, we barely got any in this movie, I'm like, wait, no, no, wait, what? If he dies in Avengers 4, I'm not going to be ready because I don't, I haven't had enough of him. Uh. Yeah, oh man. Because I know with Iron Man in this movie, they faked out his death in this movie. I'm like, well, God, I'm not ready. But he did do so many amazing things in this movie. This was a cool way to send him off, I guess. But I am very glad he's not dead. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm not sure why I... Like, throughout this entire movie, I never felt like any of the original Avengers were in danger. Not even Iron Man? (laughs) Iron Man, for a second, I questioned it. But I suddenly felt the filmmaker's, like, path. And I could tell that they felt like that would be too predictable. And, like, they actually wanted to wrap them up in the fourth movie. So, I don't know. Like... 
from the beginning with Thor and on Thanos' ship, I'm like, yeah, you feel safe too. <laughs> Just pretty much everything. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel the risk for any of the main, like the original Avengers. Yeah. Going to this movie, I was expecting them to try to be way less predictable, like trying not to kill Loki, trying not to kill Vision. And since they killed both, I gave up on expecting them not to do predictable things. (laughs) Even though Vision was killed after Iron Man almost got killed, I just figured, even if I think it's obvious, they still might do it. Because this doubt is all they need to make it really land. Yeah. I would argue that Loki's death while predictable, was in a very unpredictable way. (laughs) Like, this was actually why I was having such a hard time when the movie started right away. Like, we don't see the fight between the Asgardian ship and Thanos. It immediately starts with just, like, all the Asgardians basically dead on the ground or dying. And, like, Loki versus Thanos just immediately getting killed and Heimdall just immediately getting killed. And I'm like, if they were to kill Loki, I would have thought that it would have been in like a much more climactic way rather than just like, well, you're dead now. Yeah. And then Thanos was like, there's no coming back this time. It's like, dude, you're talking to the audience, not the Thor. Like, that's a little silly. Yeah. Which like, how does Thanos know that he's been resurrected so many times? He wasn't there for any of that. He kind of was because Loki went to Thanos after he faked his death the first time. After the first time, yeah. At that point, Loki had probably also faked his death several other times. So maybe Thanos got more backstory when they were meeting. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, that's something that I... (laughs) Like, I completely get that this movie has been stuffed to the brim and they don't really have time to show other things. But one thing that I really wish I knew about was how Thanos knew where all of these stones were. Right? (laughs) Some of them are obvious. Like, we know that he knew where the Mind Stone was, like, in the staff, before it got into Vision. And we knew he knew where the Tesseract was. But (laughs) from the Power Stone on Xandar... Well, I guess guess he would know that Ronan failed there. Oh, yeah, that, that one for sure. And we saw him find the Soul Stone. But, like, he just happens to know the Time Stone is with Doctor Strange... His minions just happen to know exactly where Vision is hiding somehow, like, with the Mind Stone, even though they don't have any kind of device that tells them where Infinity Stones are. Like, I don't know. I felt like I was missing pieces. Yeah, it was a little bit weird that they were able to track the Infinity Stones with, I don't know, some kind of technology that they never even explained. But him knowing where the Time Stone is isn't all that much of a stretch since... He's dealt with Earth before, and apparently the sorcerers on Earth have had the Time Stone for millennia, probably. But for the Aether, I have no idea. I love that Thor acknowledged that giving the Collector the Reality Stone could have been a stupid idea, but it was actually kind of genius, since he would protect it with his life. I love how like our new goofy Thor just totally played that off, like maybe it was genius. Why was it genius, though? How do you know he would have protected it with his life? Because of what we saw in the movie? Because that wasn't actually the Collector. It was probably what actually happened, though. Yeah, that <laughs> that was another big question for me was, did Thanos just, like, know that these people just landed on this planet enough to create this entire fake reality for them to walk into and fall into a trap? Because he already had the Reality Stone, apparently, enough to, like, create this fake world for them. And I want to know how he got the Reality Stone, too. 
I don't know how he figured it out, but we can just assume he got there before them and then expected them to go there next. Though I don't know why he would have expected Gamora to go there next, since they only knew that the Reality Stone was there because they met Thor. However, Gamora and the other children of Thanos have been tasked to search for the stones for their whole life, so... Gamora coming to one of them to defend it from him isn't that surprising, I guess. Which, to be honest, makes me very skeptical of how she did not know that there was an Infinity Stone in that orb in Guardians 1. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For our audience, we recorded Guardians of the Galaxy's episode before this one, and we were just talking about how we don't understand how she didn't know that the Powered Stone was in the orb. It's really weird. Yep, especially since she knows Thanos wants it, and apparently his whole hunt has been only for these stones, which she knew about because she found the Soul Stone already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, interesting and weird. Very strange. But anyways, these things aren't really issues with the movie. Like, this is me questioning things because they don't show us. Like, it's not a stretch to think, oh, well, Thanos somehow found all of these stones. Like, pretty easy to think of i'm i just personally i'm like but how i want to know how what how did you yeah. get all this knowledge <laughs> i know this movie's already almost three hours long but please just give me more <laughs> like i really wish this was a five hour long movie where we got every single detail of imaginable seriously and i can't believe they didn't show him destroying xandar i wanted that so bad <laughs> oh my god yeah like i never watched that original Comic-Con trailer or whatever with the moon-throwing scene. But I had always predicted that that was the very first scene in the movie when Thanos was taking over Xandar. So I was really disappointed that that wasn't true. Yeah, it's something that I always wanted to see as well. But I guess we'll never know. Yeah, and that was part of, like, wanting to see Thanos' power levels before he had any stones. Like, that, since he is supposed to be the most powerful being in the universe, I really wanted to see how he would like take it from Xandar before he had a stone. He did 1v1 Hulk without using the power stone though. True. And straight up crushed him. Yes, that's true. It just felt like kind of a small moment. I agree. I would have loved to see him fight without the stones first. Yeah. Also, how old is he? (laughs) Ancient. I'm so, (laughs) yeah, I'm just glad we finally have Thor's age of 1500 years. Yeah. Confirmed. Finally confirmed. Woo. Yeah, for sure. Also, like, from the very get-go of this movie, I, like, started out confused. Because they started in the (laughs) middle of an Asgardian ship with half of it destroyed, everyone lying on the ground. Where was Valkyrie? Where was Korg? Are they just presumed dead? Like, I don't think they're dead. (laughs) But they were not acknowledged at all. I think it's just assumed that they were with the surviving half of the Asgardians, and they were probably leading their escape. It would have been nice to see a short scene before Thor was defeated where Thor is like, Valkyrie, take them to safety. And then he goes to fight Thanos and then it might cut away and then cut back and Thor is just on the ground destroyed. Yeah, that would have helped significantly, I think. I'm guessing if Valkyrie's in another movie that that's going to be the opening scene of that movie. Well, I thought that she was confirmed for this movie. That's why I'm so confused. But maybe it was Avengers 4. I did too. And Hawkeye. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure he's got to be in Avengers 4, though. Yeah, he has to. (laughs) So, who even knows what's happening? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
All right. So I like how we haven't even passed the opening scene. <laughs> I know. And I really did not. I did not mean to make the entire first segment of this about nitpicks of the movie. <laughs> it's fine. We were going over general thoughts and now we're actually going to be going through the movie. Uh, we're probably not going to go in order and we're probably going to miss some things because this movie is just so goddamn jam packed. But we can talk about how I really like how they transition from scene to scene. Like this one, Heimdall in his last moment uses the Bifrost remotely, I guess, to send Hulk to Earth. I no longer understand what the Bifrost is. <laughs> Same. I thought it had to do with the Rainbow Bridge, but apparently it's just like Asgardian weapons. It is the Rainbow Bridge. And magic. That other bridge on Asgard is something different, I think. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the bridge that was rainbow colored isn't the Rainbow Bridge? Yeah, I guess so. And it explains how Heimdall got Thor to Earth in Avengers 1. But it also explains how they were able to predict the Bifrost in advance in, I think, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Because we see Hulk, like, slowly traveling down, so I don't really understand how fast it goes anymore, but that's how they transition to Earth, and I thought that was actually pretty well handled. Oh, it was great. Fantastic. Yeah. And the scene, like, I really did not expect them to start with Doctor Strange finding him and being like, oh, okay. That scene was in the trailers. Hulk crashing into the Sanctum Santorum and saying... Thanos is coming is in the trailers, isn't it? Perhaps I should state right now that I watched each of the trailers one time and try to pay as little attention as possible because I did not want to remember them by the time the movie was out. That was my original intent. I probably watched them each twice or three times. So I don't remember anything from the trailers except Captain America in the Wakandan army in that battle. Thor meeting the Guardians, and Captain America catching Thanos' gauntlet. Those are like the three scenes that stuck in my brain <laughs> out of all of them. Fair enough, yeah. But that was a cool way to transition, and it was also really funny how Doctor Strange grabs Tony Stark away from Pepper when they're having the, a kind of romantic moment talking about having children. And it was just a goofy but quick way to get them all together really fast, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, and I totally did not expect at all for Doctor Strange to play such a major role in this film. Right? That totally caught me off guard. He was like the film's fucking all-star. It was Doctor yeah. Strange. I mean, Doctor Strange probably had the most to do. Tony Stark definitely had a lot, and so did... Or, like, every time Scarlet Witch was on screen for all the stuff on Earth, I was like, okay, she is, like, stealing the entire show right now. Everything the three of them did was, like... On point, crazy, awesome. I loved it. Yeah. And Gamora, but those scenes were more about Thanos and just Gamora there to bounce off. Yeah, I was more referring to, like, fighting. Yeah, yeah. Which is really impressive, since I'm not really a fan of Doctor Strange's movie, but he was great in this movie. Same. He was also great in Ragnarok for that little scene. Yeah, and they've shown him, like, so powerful in this movie. Like, he can do so many things that... Now I'm really hoping they take it up a notch in the sequel of Doctor Strange and actually make it as cool as when he is in other people's movies. <laughs> yeah, I think the idea was when he was fighting Dormammu at the end of his movie where he fought him like a million times or whatever, he was actually gaining experience during that entire time. So he actually has like centuries of fighting experience now, which they didn't explain at the end of his movie. But I think they've explained on the outside. I've seen this theory before, but it's honestly never made sense to me how just reliving the same 15 second loop with no like no books, no ways to get more knowledge could turn him into 
a super advanced sorcerer who knows everything and how to do everything. He already knew how to do tons. He just didn't know how to use it well, I guess. I don't know. Doctor Strange wasn't a very good movie. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty much the weakest link in phase three. But anyways, this is not a podcast on Doctor Strange. (laughs) I disagree with that, but yes. (laughs) I mean, I disagree about it being the weakest link, but yes. Back to this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Tony Stark and Doctor Strange's first interaction is fucking hilarious. And I know a lot of people were bummed that they didn't do mustache bros as a joke. But I was way more bummed that they never said no shit, Sherlock, or something like that. I really thought that I would like Iron Man and Doctor Strange interacting, but I really didn't care about their dynamic at all. Oh, I loved it. (laughs) Why? Okay, I loved it on Earth. When they're in the spaceship, Doctor Strange was just an asshole. I just thought it was really funny how they're both two arrogant guys who just don't take shit from anyone and they're just giving each other so much shit. And like the scene right after this where Tony's telling Banner not to embarrass him in front of the wizards and stuff like that. I just thought all that was really funny. I don't know. That's all. Yeah, there were definitely some funny moments. I love how quickly they acknowledge that there's wizards and don't like really worry about it because you're just like, well, yeah, of course there are. It's definitely very interesting seeing just how incredibly arrogant both of them are, though. (laughs) And, like, they both are completely dismissive of the other. And what's weird about this movie is that Doctor Strange seems, like, rightfully arrogant, whereas Tony doesn't quite fit. Like, because everything Doctor Strange does works so much more, and he sees so much more, and, like, in this context fits so much more. I don't... I don't really agree with you. (laughs) Like, the entire plot with the Vision later on is, hey, why don't we just destroy the stone and then we're fine? Doctor Strange could have just hidden the time stone in the future a million bazillion years, and then they would have been fine. Tony was way more in the right, in my opinion. As Steve Rogers has said in this movie, he is Earth's greatest defender. I thought he was usually in the right in this movie. I didn't mean to insinuate that he was wrong just that his arrogance and like dismissiveness of anyone else such as dr strange felt not correct in comparison to dr strange's arrogance about him knowing everything because he literally felt like he knew everything but i mean honestly i don't like either of their arrogance because i'm like come on guys stop being such assholes (laughs) (laughs) it was funny to watch it was definitely interesting I'm also not sure that you can travel into the future with the Time Stones, since Doctor Strange didn't actually go anywhere. He just viewed all of the potential futures. So I don't know if he could have hidden the Time Stone in the future. That was one of the most confusing parts of the entire movie, of what was he doing then? Yeah, and it tied directly into him, or at least everyone's theory is that it tied directly into him telling Tony, I will not sacrifice the stone for you. I will choose the stone over you. And then, like... However long later, he immediately gives up the stone for Tony, which seems really off-putting and strange. But, like, again, the only way that it would make sense is if the one possibility in the future that he sees that works completely surrounds Tony Stark. Possibly. Also, something we haven't acknowledged yet is that the biggest theme of this movie is not sacrificing individual lives to save the universe. And how many stones are given up just to save one life. Gamora doesn't sacrifice Nebula to prevent Thanos from getting the Soul Stone. Scarlet Witch won't kill Vision to prevent him from getting the Mind Stone. Quill 
takes too long to try to kill Gamora to prevent Gamora from going to Thanos and stuff like that. And giving up the Soul Stone. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like all of those instances, too, are probably the worst parts of the movie. (laughs) Some of them, yes. I'm honestly just confused why Gamora didn't kill herself. As soon as Thanos was beginning to collect the stones, she should have killed herself right then. Instead of asking Quill to do it. You mean before she ever came across him? As soon as she found out that he had even one. But her plan was that she was probably the best chance they had of killing him right off the bat. So if that failed, she wanted Quill to kill her. Was that her plan? Their plan wasn't to try to kill him when they got to nowhere. Their plan was to try to get the Aether and escape with it and hide it. No, their plan was to use the Aether to kill him. Was it? At least that's what it sounded like to me. I just thought they were trying to hide slash defend it. Also, Gamora, like, immediately tried to kill him once they got there, before they had the Aether. I don't think that was her plan. I think that was their plan falling apart. True, but I think that was their end goal, was trying to kill him. But I definitely think it was strange that they set her up like my life is worthless to save the universe you need to kill me so that he can't get the stone but then immediately when she's brought to nebula she's like oh well i will give up the entire universe to save nebula's life in this instance that really didn't seem to fit for me yeah well i guess the idea is she's willing to give up her own life but she's not willing to take the lives of others especially her sister who she does care for Yeah, it just seemed like she really understood the weight of what was at stake before that, so I have a really hard time buying that scene. Exactly. That's why I brought this up to begin with. Her and Vision seem to be like the only people who knew what was the right thing to do. Yeah, and I don't have any problem with Wanda not wanting to kill Vision, especially since she actually goes through with it in the end and does destroy the stone, but too bad, Time Stone undoes that. (laughs) That was fantastic, by the way. Um, Yeah, he's just like, whoop, rewind. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it's like, Did oh, you guys forget about this? shit. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And Quill as well was like, that was really hard to watch because him needing to punch Thanos because he killed Gamora in that exact moment before they get the glove off was like, just wait five seconds. Uh, you just destroyed the entire universe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, my theory is we're going to learn in Avengers 4 that Doctor Strange predicted that this was the only right path and that even if... Quill didn't do that, it wouldn't have changed anything. He would have gotten it back in a second. Yeah, maybe. Thanos could 1v1 the Hulk, and that was him having fun. I think he could have taken them all down even without the gauntlet. But if they have the gauntlet, in theory they could control the stones and win against him. If they could wield it. None of them are strong enough to wield it. Yeah, that's also true. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> Quill probably couldn't even handle the Power Stone anymore now that Ego's dead. I was really bummed about that in Guardians too. I wish he still had his ridiculous powers. Honestly, I'm not sure because he didn't have any of his ridiculous powers the first time he wielded it. Half of his biology is of a god, so I thought like that was the sole reason that he was able to wield it at that point. And he still is half god. It's just that he doesn't have any powers. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. It's really confusing. (laughs) Hopefully in Guardians 3 they clear that up. Something else that really stuck out to me is that none of them use the stones they have in their fight against Thanos. Doctor Strange did a bit. He didn't. Doctor Strange tried to a bit before he got captured. Then he used it to predict Thanos' moves, and then he hit it. He tried to use it slightly against Thanos' minion, but not ever against, like... Like, he said many times, like, no, this stone is, like, probably our best chance of defeating Thanos, but then he never actually tried to use it, which seems odd to me. 
Yeah, and it was a weird decision for them to keep trying to save Vision once Thanos' army arrived on Earth, because there was no way Shuri was going to be able to fix him in like an hour or less, and they didn't have that much time. They should have just given up on trying to fix him and had him flee. He could probably survive in space and just fly off. Though I guess Thanos' army could track him somehow. To be fair, Shuri seemed really close to being done when she got, like, interrupted. Because there was only a few strands left connecting to the stone. But that was another thing that really stuck out to me in this film, is just how incredibly weak Vision was when I expected him to be one of the strongest fighters. And instead he's like, he, yeah, he, he did right? practically nothing. <laughs> I'm like, there that Infinity Stone to your head that really is weaker than Wanda? <laughs> yeah. To be fair, not all the Infinity Stones are about raw power. Only the Power Stone is about raw power. The Time Stone is ridiculous because it gives Doctor Strange the ability to manipulate time. But Vision's Mind Stone doesn't really give him all that much powers other than just giving him sentience to begin with. I don't know. It gives him sentience. It gives him the ability to fly, the ability to phase. He can shoot super powerful beams out of it. Yeah, they never really explained what powers are because of his robot body and what powers are the Mind Stone. I'm assuming the phasing and flying is part of the Mind Stone, but I don't know. Stark Tech gives you beams and flying, and he's made of Stark Tech, sort of. I assumed all of his powers were from the Mind Stone. I used to, but now I'm confused. (laughs) Huh. The point is, the Mind Stone is not, like, raw power. So I can understand it being weaker than others. But in theory, he should be able to control minds as well. <laughs> Which they've never done. Oh, I suppose, yeah. Maybe his raw power is weakened because most of the power of the Mind Stone is just keeping him sentient. Yeah, and I think the idea in this film is that when he got stabbed at the beginning, that, like, nerfed him. But that really hurts me. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a boring cop-out. Yeah, especially since I thought he would be, like, one of the coolest characters in this movie, and he was not. And then he is dead, probably. Yeah, though it seems like it could be really easy to go back on that, because, like, if you have the Mind Stone back, couldn't you just easily resurrect? I don't know. Um, Or the Time Stone. (laughs) Or the Time Stone. He already got resurrected once and then killed again. True. (laughs) Vision is the only character to have died twice in this movie. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, uh, Groot died for the second time in this movie, sort of. No, that's Groot's son. I know, it's Groot too, but still, a Groot has died for a second time. <laughs> that's like saying a human has died for a second time. If they really wanted to make this Groot's son, they really should not have given him the same name. That's all I have to say. To be fair, it seems like their entire race is called Groot. Because Thor also learned it, which was really funny because I figured that Thor would be able to talk to Groot because in the comics he speaks all tongue, which means he can talk to any being ever and they understand him in their native language. But then they just make a joke out of it and say, oh yeah, he learned Groot in school. Yeah. (laughs) Which is confusing because what is Groot? I thought he was like this weird, rare thing. I guess he's a whole species. Yeah, and honestly... I'm pretty confused about the details on this too, because if you pause the screen on Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy when they're like giving the exposition on all five of them, it shows his species and it doesn't say Groot. It says like some complicated plant thing. But then the collector says, oh, a Groot. And they refer to him as like seemingly the last Groot, maybe, but then it's an elective, but then this is his son. And I don't know. But it was an elective a thousand years ago or more. I really don't know, but it's weird that all of them just say I'm Groot, if that's the case. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> this clearly was not meant to be looked into this deeply. <laughs> no, it was not. Though, apparently in that same scene in Guardians of the Galaxy, they said that Gamora was the last of her race. But it seems that half of her race is alive, so it looks like there was a slip-up there. Yeah, that is very true, actually, huh? I didn't even think about that, but you are completely correct. This movie said only half of her was killed. <laughs> half of her race. Which pretty much tells me that they changed Thanos's motivation. Like, when they got to this movie, they rethought everything. And I don't think they realized that they previously said she was the last survivor of her race. Yeah, I would just consider that a Xandar mess up. I'm glad that they made his motivation like saving the universe rather than just him being obsessed with death because it's a much more relatable and grounded backstory. And I was really concerned about this movie not introducing us to Thanos well enough that we would care about him. And I thought they did a really good job of that, of making Thanos a cool, interesting character that you like kind of understand and find him interesting and stuff. Upon my first viewing, I didn't vibe with Thanos at all. And I was like, really? This is like it? Like, I don't feel like, <laughs> I don't feel like he's been given much character at all. And his motivation, the fact that his entire motivation is population control is kind of laughable. It's kind of funny to me that that's his motivation. It is kind of strange, especially because that would require him to, like, redo the snap every, like, 40 years or something if he's wanting to keep the entire universe in check. But I do like the general idea of it where he is this powerful being that sees it as the only way to save the universe. And he's the only one with the will to do it. And on on my second viewing, I I did feel like he was a much better villain than I originally felt. So, I don't know. It was definitely interesting. It was different to make him not evil, but think he was, like, the savior of everyone and this is what needs to be done. I don't know if I would have preferred him being evil and trying to impress death. To be honest, I think he could have been more badass like that, but it also would have been more shallow villainy, so... That's exactly what I was thinking. If they went that way, it would have just been hollow and kind of lame and a bit disappointing after having built him up for this long. I like that he's more complex. Yeah, I suppose so. And it was really interesting to see, like, soft moments with him. Like, his scenes with Gamora, even though, to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of them because I thought Gamora acted kind of awkward in those scenes. It didn't really feel real. I did like how he tries to console Scarlet Witch when she killed Vision and then he rewinds time and kills Vision again. And Scarlet Witch is like, you don't understand. He's like... I understand. I've had more loss than you today. And although from her perspective, it seems absolutely ridiculous. From his perspective, it seems reasonable. He had to kill his own daughter in order to save the universe, which is what he viewed it as. And I also think it gives him more reason to leave the heroes alive. <laughs> because exactly, in, yeah. in all of these instances, he literally should have been able to snap his fingers and all of them would just be dead. Or not snap his fingers, just like, whatever. Yeah. Close his fist just, and kill them He could all. have exploded Earth and then found the gems and the remnants of Earth if he wanted to. But instead, he's like, not viewing himself as evil. He's just like, they're just doing their thing, so I just will tolerate it and like, not kill them all. Yeah. Though, I do think it becomes questionable at some points because, to be honest, with the Infinity Stones 
that he has, there should not have even been any fight, like, ever <laughs> with them. Like, he could have turned them all into spirals like he did with the Guardians in that one reality scene. Yeah, well, I mean, with his fight on Titan, the people there did a really good job of containing him, because he has to, like, actually, like, put some effort into his hand and focus on it before he unleashes any power. But they were constantly stopping him from being able to use his abilities. Yes. Like, they showed it a lot and focused it on, like, like stop the glove, grab the glove, like, Iron Man the glove shut, like, stop it at all costs. Yes, but there was also times when he was using his abilities, in which case he could have just used them and like, oh, well, you're all spaghetti now, I'm leaving. Yeah, <laughs> this is true. So there is a little suspension of disbelief at play, but that makes it a more interesting movie instead of like, oh, these fights aren't interesting at all. So, you know. Yeah, if Thanos just insta won everything, that'd be really dull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Though Thanos fake dying against Gamora felt kind of awkward to me. I was just like, cool, he's obviously not dead. What's going on? This is just, like, awkward. With Gamora crying, too. Like, I just didn't like Gamora dealing with Thanos very much in this movie. The relationship was weird, and all the scenes with Thanos and Gamora, where Gamora just doesn't believe any of Thanos' feelings for her, despite how clearly tolerant he's being of her, like, no matter what she says to him about wanting to kill him or hating everything about him. It seemed questionable, I guess. Like, she was very distant and cold, and it seemed weird that she was like, no, I don't believe this is love. I don't know. It felt a little weird. To me, it felt weird, and it just felt, like, poorly acted. It just didn't feel very believable. But Thanos, I thought, was good. And how he just felt like this father in pain. And how he just wanted her to take over one day and take over for his dreams if he couldn't fulfill them. And it fit really well in all of Phases 3's theme of, like, fatherhood and stuff. Yeah. I just couldn't ever believe Gamora. I didn't like it. Yeah. And, I mean, she dies in this movie, and she, in theory, is one of the actual deaths with weight. But it's really hard for me to picture a Guardians movie without her. So since there's still a third one, I'm not convinced that she's dead. And... Like, the fact that we have to wait a year to find out if she's actually dead for sure kind of takes off, like, all of the emotional weight, since by then I'll be used to it and I won't be like, oh, well, now I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. And also that whole scene on Vornir or whatever, when she mocks Thanos for not loving anyone and not being able to get the Soul Stone just felt ridiculous because of how obvious it was that he really cared for her. Like... I felt like a more natural reaction would have been her running away instantly. But really quick, just to cover the scene, Red Skull is the guardian of the Soul Stone? That was cool. <laughs> it makes sense, though. It was neat. It was definitely unexpected. And yeah. at first I could not get past how much he looked like a Dementor and then Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> but it was definitely a cool tie-in. However... I feel like I have more questions now than I did when he was, like, <laughs> dead. Well, there had been theories for years that he was actually alive and teleported away with the Tesseract. Because that's the Tesseract's ability, teleportation in space. Yeah. And you know that they took that and ran with it. Because they're like, well, everyone's theorizing that he's still alive somewhere, so we still have that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so cool. Like, I don't understand why he has the power to fly. I don't understand why he's still alive. 
even though we don't actually know if Steve Rogers has slow aging like he does in the comics, I believe. But like, I'm assuming there's no food on this planet to keep him alive. And yeah. I don't know how the heck he'd be able to fly all of a sudden. I don't know why he knows all of these things about the Soul Stone. Well, he's the guardian of it. <laughs> why is he the guardian? Just because the Tesseract teleported him to this planet where the Soul Stone is and the Soul Stone is just like, I'm going to start talking to this guy. So he's my guardian. <laughs> Honestly, I would guess yes. So they implied that when he was searching about information on the Tesseract, he learned about the other Infinity Stones, which is weird since the Tesseract was the only one in possession of the Asgardians. So that's the only one he probably would have known about. But it just felt right to me. I liked it. It was cool. And I'm assuming all these powers were granted him by the Soul Stone. It's like so crazy to think about because we just don't know the abilities of these stones like if it, it's really that sentient to grant him all of these powers and basically talk to him and turn him into his guardian it's like jesus christ what is <laughs> they happening did say it's different than all the others <laughs> i know it was cool i also like that thanos didn't only use a space stone to teleport he also like used it to make a black hole and stuff like that it was just really cool I was confused how he threw a black hole at Doctor Strange and somehow Doctor Strange blocked it and it became butterflies. That that, that was confusing to me. That fight was crazy. <laughs> it was so epic, though. God damn. Like, I mean, we already talked about how cool Doctor Strange was. I never expected him to have all those crazy powers. Yeah, like, just so many interesting things, and it was way more interesting than his movie. Seriously. And they almost won that fight. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't talk about the the first fight of the movie, like, on Earth. Yeah, we were just about to get there and then went on a whole other yeah. adventure. But that was, <laughs> that also was, like, immediately so cool to me. And it did a great job of getting Spider-Man in the mix. True. And Stan Lee cameo! Bus yeah. driver! <laughs> um, and, like, Wong, too. Like, both Doctor Strange and Wong just seemed so cool in that scene. And... I mean, Iron Man had his moments, and Spider-Man... Iron Man was so cool! We got introduced to his new suit, which I thought the nanotech suit was going to be kind of annoying, because it's like, oh, yay, it's liquidy tech, whatever, does whatever he wants. But how he used it in this movie was so cool, like how he would make giant shields and swords, and like, if he wanted to use his repulsor beams even more powerfully, he would like launch a bunch of extra repulsors off of his back and use like five super repulsor beams all at the same time. Or, like, if he needed to lock down on something, he would make a giant boot just cling on to anything or a giant fist for anything he ever needed. It was so cool. Wait, so are you saying that, like, the things that came out of his back, like, he created in that instant now that they were in the suit already? Yes. Since that's what his entire suit always is. It's always whatever he wants it to be. And it was so cool. And I really wish it was called, like, the Iron Knight. Okay, now that suit just seems so much more ridiculous. <laughs> His suit is, like, more magic than Doctor Strange. Like, it's absurd. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it's definitely absurd. I know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's absurd, and that's why I thought I wouldn't like it, but it was so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I didn't even realize that, so, wow. And it was really interesting that he put, like, the arc reactor back in his chest, and it's, like, a whole circle back to what he originally was. And when he learned, like, in Iron Man 3, how Iron Man isn't the suits, he is Iron Man. Like, all of that was his mind, just creating whatever he wanted. He's kind of like the Green Lantern. <laughs> just whatever he can imagine is his weapon. That's a whole different level. <laughs> it was so cool! I loved it! 
I'm really curious if he got this tech from Black Panther or just happened to create the same type of similar suit. Yeah, that's what I was assuming, but they never actually went over it. And it would have been cool to be like, oh, yeah, I got this tech from Wakanda. It has vibranium in it now. It's like stored in nanoparticles in this chess piece. That would have been cool to see. And that's not the only thing that people were theorizing about from the trailer that was never actually explained. Like the same with Vision appearing human. Like I thought that was going to be explained in the movie, but they never even they never even went there. They're just like, he looks human. Now he's not. Why would they need to explain that? They've already shown that he has full control over his appearance. When he was created, he made a cape for himself to look like Thor. Yeah. He looks however he wants to look. I mean, they've never changed his appearance before, so I didn't know he had that power. It made sense to me. It seems like an interesting choice to not show that before, I guess. Yeah. Though I do like how they already jump into the Vision and Scarlet Witch's relationship having been developed since they were slowly hinting at it in previous movies. But in this movie, they full force just said, oh, yeah, that's a thing. It's already established. You don't need to see it. Yeah. Let's go. Which is good. We don't need more romance in this universe, really. And you can always tell which characters don't have their own movies because in these team ups, they just like happen to be in completely different stages of their lives. (laughs) (laughs) That's a funny way to put it. It's just a funny way to watch it, too. Like, I care about Scarlet Witch, and every time I see her, it's like, oh, she's like a completely different stage of her life now. That's cool, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that's a nice way to look at it. (laughs) Yeah, but oh my god, can we just like... I mean, I guess I don't have that much to say, but I freaking loved every moment with her in these fight scenes. When Okoye is just like, why was she up there guarding Vision? Why wasn't she here? Clearly she could have stopped like all of this in the beginning. Also, War Machine should have been on the outside dropping bombs. I don't understand. Pause. Not done with Scarlet Witch. So from like the get-go when they showed her and Vision fighting, I was so impressed because I honestly wonder if the writers like thought about this and were like, we need to make Scarlet Witch not be the damsel in distress because they literally turned Vision into that. And throughout this entire movie, he was, like, in need of being rescued, and she was the one saving him. And she was always so crazy powerful and so epic and, like, no, he's mine. Back off, bitch. (laughs) Like, (laughs) To be honest, in the first fight in Scotland or whatever, I thought she was a little weaker than she should have been. She was kind of just, like, shooting away and, like, shoot a blast and then fly away again. She wasn't being super powerful. She was just kind of hitting and running. And I would have liked her to do, like, giant force field of doom. She was getting overpowered by those two until the lost Avengers come rescue them. I don't agree because Vision was fighting one on his own and she was fighting one on her own. And like at first they pushed her through a glass window and I'm like, oh shit, she's out. But then she like flies in, destroys one, goes and saves Vision and is like constantly keeping one at bay while also doing Vision's fighting for him and stopping him from getting demolished. I thought she was frigging fantastic. True. Though this does lead into Captain America, Falcon, and Black Widow coming in. Oh my god, yes. Oh my god. This was so cool. That entire entrance was the best. (laughs) It was awesome. And it was also kind of weird how powerful Black Widow was. She almost seemed more useful than Captain America. Yeah. Which is weird. And also awesome because she's awesome. I agree. It was very strange. I'm like, she's just a normal human, but she's taking on these godly people like it's nothing. It was cool. (laughs) It was really cool. (laughs) And them, like, playing his theme when he entered as well, like, 
They do this a couple times in the movie, and I think it was done so perfectly. Like, there's two times that I can think of off the top of my head. It's this one with Captain America, where I could just feel it when he showed up with the music and his theme. And the same thing happened with Thor in the Wakanda fight when he entered and the Avengers theme started playing. It was like both of those moments were so powerful and great use of the themes. Yeah, for sure. The entire audience just roared at how awesome it was. Yeah. And they did a pretty good job with music in this movie altogether. Not just in the epic moments, but also like when they introduced the Guardians with Guardians-like music. Yeah. It was also super interesting just seeing all the different tonal shifts like between the different characters, which like could arguably be a reason the movie was so hard to balance because each character has their own tone. But it was definitely cool to see like going from characters with each their own unique tone and then going to the Guardians who have like this super humorous tone and like they kept all of that intact from their different movies and put them together. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And okay, Thor and the Guardians dynamic, that was great. (laughs) Oh my god. It was absolutely hilarious. Star-Lord just being entirely emasculated by Thor and Thor just totally relating to Gamora. (laughs) It was just so funny. And Drax, like, praising him as this manly specimen, pirate angel, and... Uh, Rocket just being like, yeah, I'm the captain. He acknowledges me. <laughs> him referring to Rocket as Rabbit, and... Uh, <laughs> Does he say anything about Mantis? I don't think so. She's kind of just in the back. I don't think so. But there was a little bit of play as well, like, between him and Rocket, when Rocket's like, is it weird that I want to go even more now about how destructive the thing is? And Thor's like... Oh, yeah, because he hears about a super weapon from, like, a magical place that no one knew was real. That he would never be able to wield. It It would, like, drive him insane and kill him, probably. And he's like, I want to go even more now. Is that weird? And Thor's like, yeah, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It was just great. It was really funny. I'm not going to lie. I wanted, like a hundred times more of those little moments of interaction. And it was definitely the highlight. I honestly expected way more of that. Like I thought all the different pairings in the movie were going to be like that and like really cool to see the different interactions, but it was really just Thor and the Guardians and Doctor Strange and Iron Man. Yeah, though there were a few others. Just like the moment when Bucky picks up Rocket and they shoot together and Rocket asks for his arm. That was great. (laughs) They didn't even need to talk, and they were already, like, right on point with how to fight together. (laughs) Bucky hasn't really dealt with, like, super weird stuff yet. And the fact that he just picks up Rocket with, like, no concern and starts fighting with him is hilarious. (laughs) Or, like, when Steve Rogers introduces himself to Groot. Yeah, that was funny. And Groot didn't get much chance to shine in this movie, but it was cool to see him, like, pull the axe together and become the handle, essentially. And... His, like, one tiny moment of going against Thanos. (laughs) Yeah. And he does stab a lot of guys in Wakanda. Does he? I totally miss that. He does the same thing he did in Guardians 1, where he just stabs a root through a whole ton of people. Okay. There was a lot. Well, anyways, going back a little bit again to the fight with Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Spider-Man. It was really cool to see them all fight together. It was really interesting, although weird, that Bruce Banner couldn't become the Hulk. And Spider-Man going up the space to try to save Doctor Strange, then Iron Man going up to go save him and trying to get him not to come on the ship, and then he does come on the ship. That was all really interesting stuff. Yeah, I was honestly surprised by how little I enjoyed the Spider-Man-Iron Man dynamic in this after 
Like, I thought they did it pretty well in Homecoming and Civil War, but in this movie, I was like, yeah, I'm, like, not feeling anything from this. I really liked it because the whole time Tony's, like, panicking because this is someone he sees like a son and he just wants him to be okay. And he's terrified that he's risking his own life, but absolutely mortified that he's now risking this kid's life. Yeah, that's all fine. I thought their interactions throughout the movie were also really funny. And Spider-Man and Doctor Strange were really funny. Even though the joke about Spider-Man using his superhero name was in the trailers, it was still really funny in theaters. And just Spider-Man dealing with the Guardians later on, and he's like, I don't know any of your names, but I'm trying to save you. I thought that was really funny. What else between Spider-Man and Doctor Strange was funny? I guess there wasn't all that much. I just enjoyed him in the movie overall. Yeah, and it was definitely different seeing the Iron Spider at work. That was cool. That suit was pretty neat. Yes, sir. Yeah. Also, his interaction with Quill talking about Footloose. Oh my gosh, I know. (laughs) Amazing. It was also (laughs) such a fantastic tie-in to Guardians since they talk about that movie. Yeah. Or the Thor and Guardian scene that we talked about already. When Mantis asked if Kevin Spacey was in the Avengers, and he's like, I don't know, I haven't been there in a while. Yeah, I know. That was pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) What did you think of Thanos' Black Order? I really liked the telekinetic guy, who was used the most and really instilled fear in anyone that got in his way. How he was torturing Doctor Strange, how he just held down Thor like it was nothing, how he took shots from Iron Man and the Wizards and everyone like it was nothing. I thought he was really cool. The other ones, however, I thought were much less interesting. The giant dude with an axe was neat. I mean, he was just a giant dude with an axe. The girl, (laughs) I don't know her name. She was neat, though I don't like that they felt the need to have only girls fight the girl. I... Thought that was an interesting choice, and I don't know, I don't know how I felt about it because I'm like, this is cool, but at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it's a very common thing for female villains to only be fought by female heroes, and I just wish it felt way more equal and not even something worth thinking about. The fact that I think about it annoys me. I thought that it was cool, though, to see all of the female heroes come together and, like, work together. That was really neat to me. Yeah, I totally agree. I just wasn't a fan that you can only have female heroes unite to fight a female villain. And that's what it felt like. Yeah. Though it was awesome. Especially when Scarlet Witch just throws her up into those giant Beyblade things of destruction. For sure. That was cool. That's probably the last funny moment of the movie where Black Widow was like, ew. Or like, that was really gross when she has the blue blood on her. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that I liked that line. I thought it was funny. I like her. It was just like a girly thing to say. And I'm like, did you have to do that? I don't think it was all that girly. I think anyone would have been like that. She just got a bunch of alien blood that just spit out on her face. Yeah. God, I loved Scarlet Witch in this so much. Just everything she did. <laughs> And I'm like, yes, finish them off. You started them in the beginning. You finished them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other kind of like shady roguelike guy that goes after Vision later on, I thought he was the least interesting of all of them. He barely did anything. I would have said that the axe guy was the least interesting, but I don't think any of them really had a whole lot of development. They were pretty shallow as villains. They were just like there to serve the purpose. 
And Ebony Ma was definitely the one with the most development. And I agree with you that he was the coolest with like his telekinesis and his like mind stuff. And even though it was a smart and like good way that they defeated him, it almost made me sad that we didn't get to have like an epic like final fight where they beat him, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I totally agree with you, especially with how strong he is. It would have been cool to like beat him through raw power. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of good that this movie got through the Black Order pretty quickly so that we can just focus back on Thanos. I thought they did a really good job of making this movie all about Thanos. Yeah. But I still like that Ebony Ma got a lot of screen time and was pretty cool. And I thought it was really neat that he was torturing Doctor Strange with surgical tools. Since he was a surgeon. That's neat. That is interesting. Though I wasn't sure... Like, they looked like shards of glass or the things that the wizards summon in Doctor Strange's movie, so I wasn't really sure if they were actually there. (laughs) Iron Man and Spider-Man could see it, so I bet they were really there. He said they were tools made for surgery. Sounds pretty real to me. Yeah, I'm more talking about how they looked. I couldn't tell what they were, because they didn't look like anything that was like... A medical tool. (laughs) Yeah, I was just guessing space technology looks... (laughs) Space technology, it's all crystals, man. (laughs) All right. Yeah, it looked cool. (laughs) To touch on that one guy of the Black Order that made it into Vision's room, though, how the heck did he get there? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow, I never thought about that, because he had to get through the force field. He could have gone underground. You never thought about that? (laughs) No, yeah, you're right. I totally missed that. That really bothered me because I'm like, they're heading up this front. How the heck did he get into that room? (laughs) To be fair, they had opened up the gate by that point and had been fighting for a little while. And he could just be really fast and stealthy. That might be his power. He looks like a rogue in like Dungeons and Dragons kind of stuff. I really wanted to know what his powers were to allow him to get into that room. Because I'm like, is he able to like teleport somehow? Is he like invisible? Can he do some kind of crazy thing? (laughs) How did he get there? Yeah, interesting, interesting. I'm ashamed I haven't thought about that one. I'm surprised that you didn't think about that one. (laughs) There were so many things happening, (laughs) Trey. So many things. I know, but in the actual movie, I'm just like, how'd you get there? How'd you get there? Like, every time. Whatever. That was the only one that really stands out to me now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Something else we didn't touch upon yet is... Thor's whole journey to get his new weapon. This entire storyline to me felt like an odd choice because I felt like we spent so much of the movie going after this one weapon without quite justifying why it was needed. It was weird. Especially in a movie with like so many characters, like let's focus on this one thing where Thor needs a new weapon. So pretty much the entirety of Thor Ragnarok to me felt like Thor becoming the god of thunder and like growing into his own able to use his abilities and his powers without the use of his hammer his weapon which tied him down like in all of the past movies and then right after that right after he gains control of all of his powers the first thing we see of him is he's already beaten down so we don't actually get to see him use any of his powers against thanos and the first thing we see after he gets defeated is I clearly need a new weapon like my hammer. So (laughs) it was just something that bothered me a little bit because I'm like, 
like he just grew out of his weapon, but the first thing we see is him needing a new weapon now. And it wouldn't have been so bad if he'd used his powers and like they weren't sufficient against Thanos and we got to see that, but without that, it felt kind of out of the blue and like, let me chain myself down to a new weapon immediately. The way that I saw it was that the hammer was like a mental block keeping him from reaching his full potential. It gave him an artificial limit that he didn't actually have. And when he lost it and learned about his own powers more, he broke free of his limitations and became far more powerful. That doesn't mean he can't use a weapon to be stronger. It just means that he has now unleashed his full power and now is worthy and capable of using an even greater weapon, the Stormbreaker. A weapon for an Asgardian king. And I can see that. And, like, they do make it pretty obvious by the end why this weapon is good, even though it's, like, after all of this effort. So it's, like, in that one moment against Thanos when it cuts through the fully powered Infinity Gauntlet beam and slams into his chest. You're like, oh, I I guess that weapon is, like, a really big deal then. And it summoned a Bifrost. (laughs) Don't forget that. And apparently it summons the Bifrost. (laughs) (laughs) Though it made me a little sad because I was excited to see the other Avengers, like, watch Thor and his new powers without any weapon and be like, oh my god, he just, like, came in in a blast of lightning, how cool is he? And that didn't happen. (laughs) Yeah, though we did get Banner being like, you guys are screwed now. Yeah. (sighs) Thor was so awesome in this movie. His entrance in that fight was definitely fantastic. And his fully powered lightning, even though he had a weapon again, was great too. Yeah, like, as soon as he came in and his first strike was, like, a little bit of a slow-mo, like, giant lightning charge strike was cool. Also, as far as a dwarf planet goes, Peter Dinklage as a dwarf but actually huge was funny but weird. And the thing is, I feel like that's not going to play as well in the future. I feel like that's going to age kind of poorly because, like... Peter Dinklage is a huge thing in pop culture right now because of Game of Thrones, but he won't be in the future. So although it will be funny that the dwarves end up being bigger than normal humans, it might not be as funny in the future. I don't understand why you think that. I think it's funnier right now because we know that actor and seeing that actor as huge is extra funny. So the actor was definitely surprising. Like I was like, Peter Dinklage, what are you doing here? Oh, I knew he was in the movie. I knew it was going to be him. I did not. I just didn't know he was going to be 20 feet tall. (laughs) Um, And having a dwarf be so huge was hilarious. I don't think the hilarity is tied to Peter Dinklage, and I don't think there's anything that's going to age about it, so I don't understand why this is a concern of yours. It's not a major concern. I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely interesting, and I liked it. Yeah, it was funny. (laughs) They also did some, like, really ridiculous stuff with physics, like Thor spinning around the spaceship in order to restart the rings, where it's like, yeah, this makes literally no sense, but rule of cool, we're going to go with it anyways. Like, they did a good job of making it fun enough that I didn't care, which is good. That is good. Though him holding open the thing to allow the energy from the star to be unleashed seemed ridiculous. Like, so Thor can tank a star now? How strong is he? Honestly, that whole scene kind of... It was weird. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thor's power levels now are just like, I can do anything. (laughs) Yeah, like, now it makes me even more curious about seeing him fight Thanos, since he apparently is, like, really a god now. Uh, yeah. Well, anyways, I guess that about covers up the space side of things. Although, really quickly, 
when they were transitioning to the Guardians and they were just like, location, space. That was hilarious. The entire audience was cracking up and that was just great. <laughs> that was hilarious, but also off-putting since it was the first location title they used. Was it? I think so. Wasn't the Scotland fight first? They had a title card there. Was the Scotland fight first? I don't know anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I remember it sticking out that space was like kind of off-putting because it was the first time I noticed a location card. I think it was the second one, but I'm not sure. Anyways, that was really funny. But (laughs) back to Earth. The entire fight with Wakanda, I just love how they began the entire Wakanda scene. How Steve Rogers mentions knowing a place where you can maybe fix vision up and then you hear the wakandan music start in the background before they transition and i just felt the anticipation from the audience before they switch over and that was just super exciting to see and although i wasn't in love with the black panther movie i do enjoy that it has become a giant cultural phenomenon because everyone just knows and loves these characters even more now and that was a really cool way to transition over and we got tons of little scenes with the wakandan characters we met in black panther and all of that was really funny especially okoye saying like couldn't we get like a starbucks and like host the olympics like that stuff was great yeah i also just realized that we should probably touch on the mention of the accords in this movie oh yeah (laughs) it seems like they're kind of (laughs) dead yeah it seems like it like it's literally just Tony Stark and War Machine that are there. Vision was there, but he is, like, just about to flee. He already went off the grid, and they don't know where he is, so... But this happened, like, two weeks ago in the movie time. Like, he just abandoned the Accords, I guess. Yes, but at the point of this movie, there is no one on the Accord side anymore. They are literally all criminals, all of the Avengers, except for Tony Stark and War Machine. <laughs> so... Yeah... Which is weird. It's also interesting because it pretty much tips the scales of Civil War, where it could have been either side that people were rooting for. And in this movie, it like makes it seem like Captain America's side was more in the right. Yeah, I was especially really confused by Rhodey's response about it. How I don't understand if he believes in the Accords or not anymore. And he talked about paying the price with his legs and like that was okay. Or I don't know what was going on. It was weird. It was weird, but... It's interesting. I don't know. Like, I did not expect them to be like, oh, well, we don't care about the, like, UN government or the Accords anymore. (laughs) I don't know. It would have been interesting to see what the remaining Avengers did in the meantime since Civil War, since theoretically Iron Man, War Machine, and Vision had been, like, doing heroic acts under the UN's command, but they never really talked about it. For sure. And was there anyone else left on that team? Black Widow was on his side in the beginning of Civil War and then swapped sides. And Spider-Man isn't a real Avenger yet. And Vision fled. So yeah, I think it was just them. Interesting. Yeah, I really wish that we had more information about what happened in the past two years since this happened. (laughs) Yeah, really. And it was also interesting to see Tony Stark's reaction to like having to call Steve Rogers Because at the end of Civil War, when he gets the letter from Cap and gets the phone, I thought they were maybe a little bit more amiable still, but I guess not. Yeah, well, I guess that's it. Aside from, like, Ross is now definitely, like, still a villain. (laughs) (laughs) He's not a villain, he's just a dick. Yeah, he's a dick that's against superheroes. 
he's a dick who's against superheroes doing whatever they want and wants them to properly obey the laws of the world. I feel like this scene showed him just being against them in general. Yeah, well, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyways, back to the Wakanda fight. (laughs) So I guess we already talked a lot about this, but it was interesting how they began the whole Wakanda fight, how they had this random alien horde just ripping its way through the force field of Wakanda and, like, killing themselves. It felt very strange, like, I understand that it makes sense that Thanos' army doesn't care about dying because Thanos wants to reduce population, so that kind of just makes sense. But, like, are these genetically engineered soldiers? What are they? I felt the same way, and I don't know. I just took it as, like, here's my made-up hell demons. Yeah, like, they just needed a horde. And honestly, I thought the horde was kind of dull. Yeah, and honestly, like, because they were literally just animals that seemed like made for this purpose it made me fear more for the wakandans because i'm like no you're actually giving up your lives to like nothing yeah (laughs) (laughs) like there were a lot of cool action scenes and it was cool to see like war machine and falcon shoot things from above captain america like fighting hand to hand but it was odd for sure I like their machines a lot more. Like, the giant Beyblades of Doom were freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, and I loved how Scarlet Witch just owned them. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. <laughs> it was also cool to see that the heroes use both their own tech against them and the Wakandan tech against them, because Bruce uses the Hulkbuster to fly the dude into the Wakandan like force field and just scrape him across it until he explodes. That just seemed like an accident, though. <laughs> Probably, yeah. But it was so cool. (laughs) Bruce just being used for comic relief was weird in this movie. It was a little bit excessive, in my opinion. It was excessive, and it was strange. Like... No! (laughs) Like, Thor Ragnarok seemed to take the character to a new place of, like, interestingness. And then in this movie, it was like, I'm just here, doing stuff. I do like the idea that the Hulk has never been just straight up defeated like he was by Thanos and is too afraid to fight. But I wish they treated it a little bit more seriously instead of just using him for comic relief. I agree. Also, was he in the Hulkbuster suit with no, like, middle suit? I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that you could control that suit if you weren't Tony. (laughs) Well, he helped make it. That's the theory behind it. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because he's like, yeah, it's like being the Hulk without being the Hulk. But you're not in control when you're the Hulk. You don't know what it's actually like to fight as the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you're going to give that to anyone, why not War Machine? I mean, War Machine already had Sue, and Bruce would have been useless without him. True, true. And then there was also Scarlet Witch throwing the girl bad guy. I don't know her name. <laughs> yeah, the barbarian girl into the Beyblades. Yeah. That was cool. Both of them were cool. Yeah. And then we also have the awesome scene of Thor arriving with Rocket and Groot, which is really cool. And we kind of already talked about all of this. Yeah, so I think we should just get to Thanos coming in. Yeah. When Thanos arrives with all five Infinity Stones and you just see him just swatting away everyone like nothing. That was great. It was really cool. And it was really intimidating. And the only thing I didn't like is that Scarlet Witch and the Vision had, like, a whole conversation while Thanos was walking towards them. 
which they did remedy by showing after that War Machine and others were blocking him the whole time. But I wish they intercut those scenes a little bit more because it just felt awkward that they had like a whole little conversation while Thanos was a second away. This is just a very small gripe to me. I just felt it was edited a bit poorly and it felt awkward to have that long of a conversation right there. Yeah, I mean, I guess so, yeah. Other than that, it was really cool, and it was intimidating to see Thanos swat them all away like nothing, and also interesting that, like you said earlier, he didn't kill any of them because he saw no reason to, and he, like, tries to console Scarlet Witch over Vision's death. Honestly, I feel like the most interesting part of this movie is how they related the power levels to each other, and just how powerful they made scarlet witch's abilities like she can flat out stand up to the infinity stones she can destroy one she can stop all of thanos's like attempts to get her with the gauntlet with five infinity stones she can just hold him off for a while yeah she just like force fields it away like what are her limitations what is her power how (laughs) seriously i want to know more about her (laughs) it like took her up to a different level and yeah i don't know yeah so her and thor definitely have like most improved (laughs) since their first appearance by raw power for sure i'm also really surprised that like this weapon thor's weapon yeah uh, that that thor's weapon can stand up to six infinity stones the most powerful things in the universe all together amplifying each other and it's just like too bad i'm a weapon Yeah, (laughs) it was pretty ridiculous. I don't really get it, especially since his last weapon forged from that place was destroyed by Hela. So does that mean Hela could, like, destroy these stones? Like, I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, it was strange, but still cool. (laughs) I really like that Thor has definitely come into his own after Ragnarok, because he was kind of awkward in the first few phases. Like, why does he really fit in here? What is his place? And now he's just this awesome badass that everyone can rely on yeah for sure it's just really cool to see these characters come into their own and seeing scarlet witch stop thanos single-handedly like literally single hand like she was yeah in the middle of doing other stuff with vision with the other hand (laughs) was amazing she's literally destroying an infinity stone with her other hand like all of her power yeah i don't understand that you can destroy infinity stones (laughs) how that seemed like Something that wasn't allowed. I know. I thought they were indestructible. And yeah, like... <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm like... Uh, but I also really respect that she was able to... Like, I know that she said no for most of the movie, but the fact that she said, okay, I will kill you, kill the person I'm in love with, in order to destroy the stone so Thanos can't destroy the universe, I really liked that. Yeah. I like that finally someone was doing it, since I felt that Gomorrah should have done it earlier. Yeah, but then Thanos, like, we get that huge blast, and the stone is destroyed, and then Thanos just immediately undoes it and brings Vision back to life, and that, that, (laughs) like, that was heart-wrenching, especially since I felt it for her. Like, to be honest, if there's any characterization this movie did spot on, I think it was Scarlet Witch and Vision. (laughs) I thought Iron Man was really well done. Well, she's the only one that I felt for in the actions of this film, I think. Like, when she had to destroy the person she loved, and then it was undone, like, after she 
She literally just killed the, the person she loved to save the universe, and Thanos then did that. Yeah. I think Iron Man's interactions with Spider-Man, how he's like, I didn't want you to come, I told you not to come, and then, like, he dies in his arms, comes close to that. But Scarlet Witch definitely is more impactful, since this is the first time we've seen her be such a focus, and done really well. And I suppose I agree with you, though I was more feeling for Spider-Man in that scene of his death rather than Iron Man. I was feeling for both, but Iron Man is the one who actually has to keep dealing with it. Yeah, and this is like his vision come to pass, his biggest fear. Yeah. Oh, we didn't really talk about how Iron Man and Thanos somehow are connected. How Thanos knows who Iron Man is. Which, how? <laughs> like, it seems like it might have something to do with Tony having touched the Mind Stone in Age of Ultron. But it's not clear. The Vision was just Scarlet Witch infecting them all. Yeah, but his is like the future and he was with the Infinity Stone, wasn't it? Oh, because he was holding the staff? Yeah. His wasn't the future. You think it's the future. It, it could be foreshadowing. It's not like I'm seeing the future right now. That, that was never established. <laughs> My point is, I think that that is how Thanos knows Stark and how they are connected. I don't think so. How else would Thanos know who Stark is? I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that since Iron Man is the person who followed the missile into the Chitari camp that was directly like Thanos' invasion and he's the one that destroyed them all and then fell back to Earth. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to think that someone reported to Thanos like, oh, this is the guy that stopped everything. That was the only other thing I could think of also, but that doesn't seem likely either since they were being attacked by a hive mind that got destroyed. So how could they report it to Thanos? The minion of Thanos that was at that place survived. Ah, uh, okay. Well, maybe. Because he was in Guardians of the Galaxy and he's the one that Ronan killed. Oh, yeah. But I wasn't sure if he was aware of the individual fighters on Earth. Honestly, I don't know. I'm wondering if they're going to go more into that in Avengers 4. Like, why does Thanos know Iron Man? I hope so. I really hope so. And I think it's really interesting that Iron Man and Nebula are the only ones left on Titan. Yeah. That sounds like a really cool opening to a movie to me. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man and Iron Girl. Oh my gosh. <laughs> a match made in heaven. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more curious how Iron Man's going to get home. I honestly don't think he will. I think the final fight will be on Titan again. Really? Yeah. Thanos has no reason to go to Earth. They're going to bring the fight to him again. Thanos is just chilling as a farmer on Titan now. Well, maybe a farmer. He's just chilling in peace. I want Iron Man and Cap to reconcile before the final fight on Titan. I think they will. And I think Thor is going to bring the rest of the Avengers to Titan. Because if they can't save the Earth, they'll damn well avenge it. But that's what I mean, because bringing everyone to Titan would have to be, like, the climax of the movie. I'm not so sure, because what else are they going to do on Earth? They might go really quickly, actually. I can't really imagine what they are going to do, but I like the idea of Iron Man having a moment, like in Iron Man 3, where he doesn't have access to his machinery, and he has to rebuild everything from what he can scavenge on Titan or something like that. There's a lot that they have to do on Earth. They still have to bring in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Hawkeye, Captain Marvel. All of these people need to be brought into this Avengers ensemble in order to go after Thanos. 
Yes and no, because Captain Marvel is almost certainly not on Earth. She might be in space. She is almost certainly in space. But Fury signaling her was on Earth, so she would probably go to Earth first to that signal. True. Which we're getting way ahead of ourselves because we haven't talked about the snap and we have not talked about that in scene. <laughs> All right, snap. Everyone's dead. All right, so who died that matters? And we're not going to count Nick Fury and Maria Hill yet since they're after credit scene. So we lose Bucky. We lose Spider-Man. We lose Scarlet Witch. We lose all of the Guardians except for Rocket. We lose Falcon. We lose Black Panther. And those are the most of the main characters that I could think of right now. Are there any more that you could think of? Doctor Strange? Oh yeah, we lost Doctor Strange. <laughs> that one's pretty important. <laughs> Honestly, it's really interesting because they literally killed all of the new characters and left the original cast of the first Avengers movie intact. Yeah, which likely means a lot of them are going to die in the next one. Yeah, and I both like and hate this because when they said this movie had real stakes and, like, people are going to die, I'm like, you literally killed everyone else except the main four, so they're still safe. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm really glad that they all have one more movie to wrap up their story as the original Avengers, since this is probably the end of a lot of them. Yeah, and so they could pass on the torch. Yeah. And it's just a, it's a good wrap-up to the first epic saga of the entire MCU. And I literally think that the reason they did this, or maybe not the sole reason, because they wanted like Thanos to win, but I feel like a lot of it was... We have way too many characters to do this. Let's just temporarily kill everyone except the original Avengers. <laughs> Probably. It will help them focus a lot, for sure. Because this movie was spread way too thin because of that. Yeah. Though I do think that, although I know a lot of people were upset that their characters didn't get enough of the spotlight, I like that they focused on fewer characters, even though they had a huge cast, so that some characters really did get deep development, rather than no one getting anything. I don't... No, that anyone got deep development. (laughs) I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job with the Guardians and Thor and Iron Man and Doctor Strange. So I thought losing them, except for Iron Man, was okay. And Thor. If I had to accept this movie for all that it was and change one thing, the thing that I would change would be lessening so much of the arc that is dedicated to Thor's weapon and giving that airtime to Captain America. I agree, but I don't really know what he would have done. Because at the end of the movie, he's just like another soldier in their army. Like, yes, he didn't get a huge chance to shine, but I just don't know what he would have done. He isn't on the epic power level anymore. He doesn't compare to Thor and Scarlet Witch and the Hulk, or even Iron Man anymore. Like, what would he do? Well, that's that would be on the writers. <laughs> Yeah, and also, like, he couldn't be the leader of the Wakandan forces either. Like, that was Black Panther's role. Like, I I really don't know what he would have done. I just would have liked more about his character somehow, some way, and I think they could have done that. I'm guessing that's going to be a huge focus of Avengers 4, since he is the one who rallies people when they're feeling the most down. He is the leader of the Avengers, even if he's not the strongest. He gives them something to center themselves around. And I think that's going to be really important in Avengers 4. And hopefully they'll do him justice then. And I really hope so, because if they don't do that in his last movie, I am going to die. (laughs) Don't be sad. Don't die, Trey. You're my friend. Then I'll just cry. 
Okay. A that's lot. Better. I would much rather you just cry than die. For like weeks on okay, end. Okay, maybe that's a bit much. Maybe you can <laughs> die then. <laughs> well. <laughs> That'd be a lot of crying. It would hurt. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Shall we talk about the after credit scene? Yeah. Which we've already basically really heavily hinted at. Yeah, and... <laughs> In the after credit scene, we get Fury and Maria Hill pretty much seeing the aftermath of the snap and helicopters and cars just crashing because their drivers disappeared. And then both Maria Hill and Fury start to fade into nothing. But before that, Fury calls the only person who can help, Captain Marvel. Yeah, which, honestly, so like, I already talked about how the snap pissed me off because... It just felt like cheap, and I knew that they weren't <laughs> dead. Yeah. But in the after credits scene, I was like, I thought it was over, like we were safe now. So seeing Maria Hill fade away, like hit me harder than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then there was Fury, who was hilarious, because he's like, mother and then fades away. Yeah. And I was like, no, even Fury? But it, <laughs> it was, that was probably the best part of the snap, to be honest. Yeah. I know a lot of people had complaints about there being delays in between different people dying, like how Spider-Man held on for a while, or Maria Hill and Fury witnessing other people fade and then fading, but I thought it was pretty well done. And yeah, Maria Hill dying was painful. I figured that they were going to be some of the ones who survived. But also, maybe it's because the last movie I saw with Fury in it was Winter Soldier, but I'm a little confused how he burned his eye patch and, like, moved on, and Maria Hill is now working for Tony Stark, but in this movie, he has an eye patch, he's working with Maria Hill, they're both together. Yeah, I was really confused about that also. I know that they get back together for Age of Ultron to help out with the helicarrier, but I don't know what his state was after Age of Ultron. So why are they in New York? What state are they in now? Yeah. Why are they even together? That's 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 my big question, really. I'm like, they're both supposed to have moved on from this. What is happening? Yeah, I was really confused about that. But one thing of note that we kind of skipped over is that this was the after after credit scene. This is like way after all the credits have rolled. As of late, all Marvel movies have had two after credit scenes, one that's really quick before the main credits and one that's all the way after. And this time they just faded the black and then did Thanos will return instead of the Avengers will return. And this being the first movie to only have one after credit scene like that in ages, like hit hard. For sure. And it was well done in my opinion. Yeah. Also, this definitely hypes up Captain Marvel <laughs> as a character. Oh yeah. Oh Yeah. Though I do have to say that considering they've had two world-ending events before this that Fury did not call her, they better have a good reason for why he's calling her now and not for those. I'm guessing that the reason is that she can't just appear instantly and the other things happened pretty fast. That's the best answer I can give. Like, the invasion of New York, they only had a little bit of warning before it happened. This... She could arrive in a month, and it's not going to be all that much different. I have no idea. But yeah, it really confuses things. Well, hopefully they answer that in either her movie or Avengers 4. I hope so, also. Did we just reach the end? I'm sure we missed a hundred things. Probably, but this movie is so dense and jam-packed with details. (laughs) Oh my god. What an experience. I can't believe we finally, like, had this happen. 
It's weird. I'm happy, though. I mean, it was really weird that it's over and in the past, but I liked it a lot, and I'm happy. And I just want Avengers 4. It's, this has made me so hungry for more. Like, I'm so damn excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp right now. And Deadpool, even though it's not really related. But, like, I just want more. More! <laughs> My main question right now is, will Ant-Man and the Wasp expand this universe to points that connect to this movie? Like, are they going to go into the microverse and, like, come out the other side with the whole world being destroyed? I don't know. Like, I want to know why they weren't in this movie, what journey they were going on, and how it's going to tie into the next one. Yeah, for sure. Also, it's going to be really interesting to watch any Marvel shows, especially the Netflix shows, in the meantime, since they obviously will have taken place before this movie, but I don't think they're going to acknowledge it at all, and it's going to just be kind of awkward for a whole year, so cool. Looking forward to Iron Fist Season 2. Super cool. (laughs) (laughs) My main question is if Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to acknowledge it. And someone brought up a good point on Reddit, is that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. probably didn't know that this movie was getting released a week early, so if it does tie in, it might be another week. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. I haven't watched this episode yet, but... Yeah, I'm behind. We will see! And hopefully you will too, depending on if you watch those things or listen to us. Whatever. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen to us. We're not going to be talking about the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tie into Infinity War for at least like two years or something. True. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) Trey, general thoughts on the movie. (laughs) All I can say is I liked so much of what we got. And I wish this was five hours long so that I could have all the extra details that I wanted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You? Same. Like, I love this movie, but God, I just want more. I just want more, 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 please. (laughs) I'm amazed that there's a movie this long that just makes me desperate for more. That makes me happy. Also, the fact that there's a movie this long that, like, is missing so many of the details that you want is so hard. (laughs) Also, a movie that's that long that doesn't feel long. Yeah, it it didn't feel long, which is a testament to the Russos, I suppose. Yeah. Now we have, to, now wait we a- have to wait a year! <laughs> I love that we were going to do that in sync. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, this is going to be a hard year. I thought this was like a hard year waiting for this one. This is going to be a really hard year. Do you have any guesses on what Avengers 4 is going to be titled? I think it's going to be something about if they couldn't save the Earth, they'll avenge it. So I think it just might be called, like, Avenge Earth. That sounds like a bad title. I don't know. I just think it's going to be something along those lines. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up our episode. I guess it does. So, if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us at Facebook and Twitter at MarvelousMCU. You can find us on Instagram at Marvelous MCU Podcast, and you can send us an email at MarvelousMCUPodcast at gmail.com. So wherever you happen to listen to this podcast, may it be Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, whatever, doesn't really matter. Please like, rate, comment, review it. Anything you could do to help share the podcast is greatly appreciated. And if you like this podcast and want to support us, you can go to patreon.com backslash MarvelousMCU. 
soon we will be starting to release patron-exclusive content, like a special on Deadpool 2, which comes out in only a few short weeks. Indeed. Anything you can do to help, even if it's a dollar, is a huge help. And then you'll get to listen to us talk about Deadpool. So who doesn't want that? Yes. (laughs) So thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in next time for our episode on Guardians of the Galaxy.